Samuel chapter 23, 2 Samuel chapter 23, and I mentioned this last week, but we, we are, we're putting together a um, schedule, I guess it would be, of uh, groups that are going to start singing on Sunday nights as well, so we have a couple that are scheduled for this week, next week, and some, some of the weeks after that, so uh, it's exciting, and uh, we have so many different groups that are, that are starting to sing now. And uh, some of them with our young people, it's exciting. They've been doing a lot of the uh, offertories on Sunday nights as well for the uh, playing for the offering, and a lot of a lot of young ones, um, younger ones, I should say. They're not all that young anymore, but uh, playing the piano and and uh, taking violin lessons and and uh, just different things. And boy, what a tremendous opportunity that is to to develop those talents and to be able to use them for the Lord, not just later on, but now. You know, um, them getting up and playing an offertory just because it's not fancy the way Miss Becca plays or something doesn't mean that it's not for the Lord and doesn't mean that he's not pleased with it. Uh, it's not for someday, it's for now. And uh, so uh, let me encourage those of you who can sing or who can somewhat play an instrument, get back into it. All right, there's plenty of opportunities to, to sing, uh, either in special music or the choir or something like that. And uh, boy, it's, uh, it's an ability that God's given you. And it's a way to, to serve, and it's a way to, to, to praise Him, and to use what He's given you to do that. So um, I picked my trumpet back up, and I've been practicing it again, and, and I told you this before, the reason I stopped really was because we started in a hotel, and I didn't want to wake everybody up with the sound of the trumpet at 11 o'clock in the morning. So um, I, I stopped playing, and it takes a while to get your lip back. You don't, it's like riding a bike. You don't ever forget the fingerings and all of that kind of stuff, but your lip just can't handle it. So I've been practicing it again, and... Uh, we're going to do a church music night, same way we did last year. I think, it's, I think it's March 12th, and all the different groups that sing in church and, you know, plays in, in some cases, play uh, instruments and things like that. We'll be doing that on that night, but I think I'm going to pull the trumpet out and, and play it on that night for the first, for the first time in, in, a, in a while, anyway. I played it a couple times here, um, but just nothing, uh, nothing worth writing home about, so, uh, and I'm not saying that this one will be, but it'll be uh, something. And uh, so let me encourage you to do that as well. But 2 Samuel 23, I don't have time, and I wish we did, to go through this entire passage, but uh, I like to read about David's mighty men. And we find, the, we find them in, in this passage. We also find another section about them in 1 Chronicles chapter 11 uh, that just talks about some of David's mighty men. And these guys were just, they were, they're exciting to hear about. And I can imagine they were some pretty rough guys, uh, but they were loyal. They loved David. And David treated them in, in the right way as well, and I think that's one of the things that kind of uh, uh, induced their loyalty, if you will. But this is just a ragtag bunch of misfits. You know, in some cases, they were criminals that, that uh, just didn't fit back into society. But these guys, if you start, I, I wish we had time, like I said, to read through this entire passage. But, uh, you know, verse 20, uh, the, uh, Jehoiada, the son of a valiant man of Kabziel who had done many acts, he slew two lion-like men of Moab. He went down also and slew a lion in the midst of a pit in the snow, in, in time of snow. But you just see a lot of different things like that about these mighty men. That These guys were just animals, for lack of a better term, I think. But uh, I can't help but think that David's mighty men must have been a lot like we are. You know, they had a lot of rough edges. Uh, we make a lot of mistakes. But beneath all of it, I think most of us, at least in this room, want to do what's right. And I think for the most part, Christians... Uh, who genuinely are Christians, even though we fail a lot, and even though some may not really show that desire. I think, I think 
inside of us all, we have that desire to live for God. With the Holy Spirit living inside of us, we should all have that desire. We have a rough exterior sometimes. God's trying to smooth this out. Wouldn't it be wonderful to describe us in a way that we love God and we're fiercely loyal to Him? That's the way these, that these mighty men are essentially. You don't see a verse that says that, but we see that uh, through their actions displayed, that they, they loved David, they were fiercely loyal to Him. Wouldn't it be great if that could be said about us and our relationship to God? But we see this, and I, I just want to pick it up in verse number 13. And it says this, And three of the thirty chief went down and came to David in the harvest time unto the cave of Adullam. And the troop of the Philistines pitched in the valley of Rephaim, and David was then in an hold, and the garrison of the Philistines was then in Bethlehem. And David longed and said, Oh, that one would give me a drink of water of the well of Bethlehem, which is by the gate. And the three mighty men broke through the hosts of the Philistines and drew water out of the well of Bethlehem that was by the gate and took it and brought it to David. Nevertheless, he would not drink thereof, but poured it out unto the Lord and said, Behold, or sorry, be it far from me, O Lord, that I should do this. Is not this the blood of the men that went in jeopardy of their lives? Therefore, he would not drink it. These things did these three mighty men. Now, let me give you a little bit of a background into this. David had sunk to a pretty low spot. Here he was hiding in the cave of Adullam. A Philistine garrison held Bethlehem, which was his home. It belonged to him. And he was not much different from an outlaw at the head of a band of broken men. And here David is sweltering in this cave in, this, in the fierce, fierce heat of harvest, hiding, tucked away, and his mind starts to drift back to Bethlehem. And his I think his mind drifts back to the good old days when he watered his flock at the well by the gate. He was free to mingle with the people. He was free to, uh, you know, to, to walk around his little town. But now the Philistines have a garrison there, and they're holding that place. They're holding his home hostage, essentially. I'm sure the memories of his boyhood just kind of rose up in front of him. And as he was immersed in the past, and of course, he, he's thinking about this grim present, and the future didn't look all that great evil uh, either. He had this, 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 this perilous evil that was threatening him, and at any moment, the Philistines were camped right outside of the cave where he was at. I suppose if they decided they wanted to rush that cave, they could very easily have taken David, if not prisoner, they could have taken his life. But here he is in this barren land, which for now was his home. And maybe it clouded some of those wonderful memories. And in the middle of all of those swirling thoughts that David has, one of them escapes to his lips. And I don't think, and you see this passage there in verse number 15, David longed and said, I don't think David stood up and said, <clears throat> Oh, that someone would give me a drink of water from the well of Bethlehem. I don't think he was trying to make it known. I think David was just sitting there thinking about all these things and maybe just even, even, even a, almost a whisper under his breath, he said, oh, it would be nice to have a drink of that water from the well of Bethlehem that's by the gate. He lets out what seems to be almost just a mumble of a phrase. But he says that, oh, that I could just have a drink of that water from the well in Bethlehem that's by the gate. And three of his mighty men bound to him by this loyal devotion, bound to him by this unselfish love, were ready to die to win for their leader a small cup of water from the well that was there in Bethlehem. So they slipped away from Adullam. The Bible says they break through the host of the Philistines and drew water out of the well of Bethlehem that was by the gate and took it and brought it to David. That was the water that David had longed for, and they did everything they could. They broke through the garrison of the Philistines 
got this water for David and brought it back to him at the peril of their own lives. And I don't think they had probably a, uh, you know, they didn't have water bottles like we have nowadays. I don't know how they brought it back to him, but you can imagine that this was something that they were guarding with their life. So they brought this water back. David refused to drink it. These men had gotten it at the hazard of their life, and he considered it the same as their blood because that's what they risked in order to bring that water to David. So he gives this this noble instance of self-denial, and he takes that water and he pours it out before the Lord. And I used to read that passage, and you know, there's no evidence that David ever requested them to bring this water back to him. He just mumbles it under his breath, and these men hear what he's, what he's longing for, and they go, and they risk their lives, and they get it. And every time I read this before, I always thought, what a waste. These guys risked their life to go get you a drink of water from the well, and you just dumped it out? And I was, why, why would David do something like that? The least that he could have done was drink it and enjoy it. These guys risked their life to go get him this glass of water, and now they're standing there watching him pour it out in front of them. But have you, ever, have you ever gotten a gift from somebody that really meant a lot to you? Maybe somebody that, that uh, you know, didn't have a lot of money, and you know that they spent a decent amount of money to get you that thing, or uh, just somebody that, that got you something because it, it, or gave you something that meant a lot to them. You know, and, and you could have used it. You, you know, it may be worth something. It may be worth very little. But the gift itself, it, was, it wasn't what mattered. It's, it, it's who it came from that mattered. And even though it may be something that you could use, it may be something that you would find very useful, you, just, you put it up on a shelf and you just, you just let it sit there so you can see it and remind you of that person. And I think that's probably exactly what happened with this water. This water was so precious to David that he couldn't use it to satisfy his longing. He couldn't use it to satisfy his thirst. It would be really self-indulgence, if you will, for him to drink that water that these men brought back. God only had the right to receive what these men had risked their lives to do. And so the Bible says that David poured it out before the Lord. It didn't say that David was like, that's such a small cup. That ain't even worth anything. He didn't dump it out that way. He offered that to the Lord. He said, boy, these men risked everything to bring me this. The only one that this is worthy of is not me. The only one that is worthy of this water is the Lord, and he poured that cup of water out before the Lord. And we don't have any indication of exactly what happened after that, but I can imagine that those men were deeply touched by this, this devotion that David had, not only to them, but to dump this out and pour this water out before the Lord. And I started thinking about how closely this should resemble our love for God. The loyalty that these men had to David is the same loyalty that we should show when it comes to our loyalty to our Lord. So I want to share with you just a couple thoughts this morning on this idea of bringing God the water. Bringing God the water. Let's pray, and then we'll look at a couple things in this passage. Father, we love you. Give me thank you for an opportunity to be here. Pray that this message would be a help to us, a blessing to us, and that you would use it in our hearts in only the way that you can. Thank you for what you do. In Jesus' name, amen. Now keep your finger there in 2 Samuel, if you will, but turn over to Luke chapter 10. Because the first thing I want you to see about these mighty men of David is this. They were close enough to hear his voice. They were close enough to hear his voice. Before we talk about these men, I want to mention what David was going through. And I kind of already did. But David was in a place where he was away from where he knew he ultimately belonged. And that was in Bethlehem. Bethlehem was his. And here David longs for the water that could only come from that place. And I think the first thing to note was that these men were close enough in proximity to their chief, that they were able to hear him utter these words. These were men of war. They were men of action. 
They could have easily been out sharpening their weapons or easily out, you know, drawing out battle plans or preparing for the next war, the next battle that they were going to face. They could have been scavenging for food or anything else that, that keeps warriors busy when they're in that downtime. It's not like David stood up and made this big announcement that he would like some of this water. He was more shocked, I think, than any was when they actually showed up with the water. He didn't even know that they left. And the next thing you know, they're showing up with this water, and they're presenting this water to David. But, but these men were close enough to him that they're able to hear what he said, possibly even under his breath, as David was just reminiscing about Israel and about Bethlehem and about that water. But now, let's, uh, let's apply that to us. I think often we get so busy serving God, so busy doing things for him, that often we neglect to hear his voice. You know, God speaks to us. He doesn't speak to us in an audible tone. It's not like he says, you know, this is what I want you to do today. But God speaks to us through his word. He speaks to us through his will. He speaks to us, to us through a lot of different things. And most of the time, we as Christians get so busy, so, so wrapped up in doing things, even things that are necessary, that we fail to hear God's voice. We're warriors in the army of God. I'm, I'm going to go out and conquer the world for Christ. Nothing wrong with that mindset. But may I remind you of the story of Mary and Martha when Jesus came to their house. Martha was busy serving. Mary was busy listening. We find that in Luke chapter 10 and verse number 40. But Martha was cumbered about much serving and came to him and said, Lord, dost thou not care that my sister hath left me to serve alone? Bid her therefore that she help me. Jesus answered and said unto her, Martha, Martha, thou art careful and troubled about many things. But one thing is needful. And Mary hath chosen that good part which shall not be taken away from her. It's not that Jesus was condemning Mary for serving. Sometimes you hear messages that people preach and, oh, Martha shouldn't have been doing that. She should have been at Jesus' feet. Jesus wasn't saying don't serve. He wasn't saying don't, don't get busy. But he was saying Martha was complaining that Mary was not helping her. And Jesus said, listen, you're doing a lot of things and, and those things are necessary. But Mary's doing the best thing, and I'm not going to take that away from her. She's sitting at Jesus' feet, listening to his voice. And that's something that even though service is necessary, and even though being busy is necessary, I'm not going to take that away, because we need that. When we get so busy, we often fail to listen for God's voice. We start to skip our Bible reading. We start to skip our prayer time. We miss what he has for us in the sermons. We get so busy serving that we miss his voice. Turn over to 1 Kings chapter 19. I think it's such a grave mistake that we make, and, and for the most part, it's not that we're doing it on purpose. I'm not saying, well, I'm, I'm not going to read my Bible today. I'm not going to have my prayer time today. But we get so busy. We get so busy that that gets pushed out. And essentially what Jesus was saying to Mary and especially to Martha, was Martha, you need to serve. You need to, you, you're comforted about with all of these things. Fine, but don't neglect the thing that's the most important, and that is listening for God's voice. First Kings chapter 19, we find the story of Elijah. And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God. Verse number 10, sorry. I've been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts. For the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars, slain thy prophets with the sword, and I, even I only am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And by the way, he wasn't the only one left. There were 7,000 others in Israel who had not bowed the knee to Baal. But Elijah got this pity party of himself, and he started saying, I'm the only one left. Nobody else is serving God. Everybody else is bowed the knee to Baal. 
They've, they've thrown down the altars. They've, they've destroyed everything, and I'm the only one that's left. He's kind of having a pity party. And God showed him later on that he wasn't the only one that was left. But verse 11, and he said, go forth and stand upon the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind rent the mountains and break in pieces the rock before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. After the fire, a still small voice. That still small voice is the voice that we need to be listening for. And when you get so busy, when you get so wrapped up in service, when you get so wrapped up in doing, it's that still small voice that we miss most of the time. Sadly, most Christians don't have to worry about getting so busy for the Lord that they fail to hear his voice, but they get so busy with life that that happens. If you feel yourself drifting away from God, it's time to take a few steps back toward him. And I'm not saying that just in a, in a small way. Listen, the most important thing you have in your life is your relationship to Jesus Christ. The most important thing you have is that relationship with him. When you fail in that when, that, when that goes away, when you drop that away from your life because you get busy with serving or because you get busy with life, and that's just a natural part of humanity. We are humans, and that's what happens to most of us. But it's time to come back to the Lord. It's time to move back toward him. He wants to be close to you. He wants us to be close to him. If God uttered his desire for you, would you be close enough to him to hear his voice? That's what these mighty men of David found out. They were close enough that even though David just uttered this, oh, if I could have some of that water, they were close enough that they heard his voice. Or have you drifted from him? Because here's the truth. In your heart, you know if you're close to him or not. You might have a lot of people fooled on the outside. There might be a lot of people thinking, that's a pretty good Christian. Comes to church every, every time we have service. He carries his Bible. He dresses up. He does this. He does that. But in your heart, you know if you're close to God or not. If there's a time, if there's been a time in your life when you were closer to God than you are now, then you need to make steps to get back to where you were before and go even farther for him. The Bible says that about Jesus when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane. He went a little farther. And I think that what a great, what a great example that is to us. We should go a little farther in our Christian lives, a little farther when it comes to prayer, a little farther in our Bible reading and studying the Word of God. You know if there was a time when you were closer to Him than you are now. And if there was a time when you were closer, what's gotten between you and God that needs to be taken care of? Are you close enough to hear His voice? David's men were. Turn over to Psalm 42, because I think the second thing is this. They were listening enough to know His desires. They were close enough to hear his voice, but they were listening enough to hear his desires. You ever have kids that hear your voice, but they don't listen? All right? Hey, go take out the trash, and they go and sweep the floor. You know, well, that, that would be an improvement, I guess. But uh, they said, did you hear what I said? Yes, you told me to take out the trash. Did you do it? Well, uh, I had some other things to do first, right? No, they, they heard you. They weren't listening. And that's what happened with these mighty men. They not only heard David's voice, but they were listening for his desires. Bethlehem was David's city. He knew the excellence of the water that was there. Not that they couldn't get water in the place where he was at. Obviously, they were not dying of thirst in the place where he was, but it just wasn't that Bethlehem water. It wasn't the same. 
being near the place and parched with thirst, it was natural for him to want some water out of that well. What an example. What an example of the longings and thirst that sometimes force themselves on us when we're away from where God wants us to be. You hear a message and you start to say, boy, if I could only get back to where that was, I remember what that time was like. And you start having that longing and that thirsting. There's, there's that desire in every Christian that gives us a longing to just be right with God. I'm, not, I'm human. I'm not afraid to admit that there are times when I drift away from where I should be. And there are times, that when, and when I drift and when I get away from where I should be for God, there is that desire that says, I need to get back to where my life is supposed to be. I need to get back to being close to him the way that he wants me to be. I need to get back so I know the desires of his heart. I don't like living out here in no man's land. I haven't run off to the world. I haven't jumped into deep sin, but I'm, I'm away from where God wants me to be. And his voice is just, his voice is distant, and it's hard to follow a voice that you can barely hear. And I don't like living like that. And I don't think most Christians like living that, like that. But there are times when we drift away from him, but because we're saved, because we're Christians, because the Holy Spirit is living inside of us, we have that voice that says, you need to get back there. And many of us say, yes, I do, and I want to, but then we just keep living our lives the way that we're living them, and we never get back to where God wants us to be. You know the devil's fine with that? If you're saved, he's already lost you. But you know what he can keep you from doing? He can keep you from having that relationship with God. And when he keeps you from having that relationship with God, he's keeping you away from telling other people about Jesus Christ. And even though he can't get you, he might get a lot of other people through you that you could have won, that you could have led to Jesus Christ, that you could have influenced for godliness and holiness and righteousness, but you didn't because you're not where God wants you to be. There's that desire in all of us that makes us want to get back there, but you have to take steps to get back there or you never will. Psalm 42 and verse number one says, As the heart panteth after the water brooks, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. My soul thirsteth for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before him? You ever seen a nature show in the Africa? And the, the, the gazelle or the deer or whatever else is around there are going down to the water to drink. And they're, they're just on edge because there's crocodiles in that water. And I've seen it happen many times where just out of nowhere, this crocodile snaps out there and grabs one of those deer, right? But that's never kept the deer away from the water. Now, they know that there's hardships of going to that watering hole. They know there's dangers in going to that watering hole. But you know what? They're, they're, like the Bible says, the heart panteth after the water brooks. They've got to get to that water. And they're willing to risk whatever they have to risk to be able to get to it. And I think, that's, I, I think knowing that context is exactly what God is talking about with us. As the heart panteth for the water, that's the way that we should be longing after God. Right? You ever, you ever work out in the sun for a while and you get so thirsty where you're like, man, if I could just have a drink of water. I'm so thirsty right now. I just want some water. Now everybody else is licking their lips because they want water too, right? But, but that's what he's saying in verse number two. My soul thirsted for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before him? See, a lot of Christians have, have suppressed that desire for so long that it's not near as strong as it used to be or it's not near as strong as it should be. But that desire is there in the heart of every Christian. Matthew chapter five and verse six says, Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall see God. When you have that desire and that desire becomes strong enough, you will take those steps. You know that you are as right with God right now as you want to be. 
I'm not. No, I'm not. I would like to be closer to God. I, I got this in my life. And then, no, if you really wanted to be right with God, if you really wanted to be close to God, you would be. You are as close to God right now as you want to be. If you're not where you think you should be, if you're not where in your mind you want to be, then let that desire get so strong that you can do nothing but go back to God. David so longs for what he knows could be his, and his men are close enough that they heard his voice. These three heroes heard what David said, and they hadn't received any command from David, but they broke through the company of the Philistines, and they took some of that water. Can you imagine what must have gone into these guys were like, ancient Navy SEALs, you know? I mean, that's what the Navy SEALs do. I mean, they, they went under the nose of these Philistines and got water out of the well of Bethlehem. I don't know how they did it. But it wasn't some things where they said, uh, let's dress like Philistines and walk up and get some water, right? They had to, who knows, put paint on their face. I don't know exactly how they did it, but they, they had to set a mission up, and they went and they accomplished this mission. This was guarded by a garrison of Philistines. It was not some easy thing. They, they, they had to sneak into an area that's just crawling with this fierce enemy. And it's a very well-protected place because of the value. There must have been men everywhere. But they broke through and they got this water. Sure, they had heard what David said. They not only heard what he said, they were able to discern his desire. How many Christians today will sit and read their Bibles in the morning because they know that's what they're supposed to do? They'll sit and they'll listen to sermon after sermon after sermon because they know that that's what they're supposed to do, but they're never changed. That's a perfect example of hearing God's voice but not discerning his desires. Why are we as Christians still not where we should be? You hear message after message after message of this is what you should be doing. You read in the Bible, this is what you should be doing, and yet we don't. It's because we're just like kids. I heard what you said, but I didn't listen to what you said. I didn't obey. I didn't follow. Can you, God can speak all day long, but if we're not carefully listening to what he is saying, then it's not doing us any good. You can come to church every single time the door is open, and you can break in and come when the doors aren't open. And if you're not listening to what God is telling you to do, then it's not doing you any good. It doesn't matter if people see you here at church. It doesn't matter if, you, if people see you involved in ministries. It doesn't matter if people see you in those things. If your heart is not right with God, then it's not accomplishing anything for your spiritual life. I'm, I'm afraid that many Christians go to church because that's what they've always done. They sit through the messages because that's what they've always done. They sing the songs and they carry their Bible and they dress up because that's what they've always done. That'll only go so far. You can only do it that way for so long before you get bored of the whole routine. There has to be something real about it. And that starts with your relationship to Jesus Christ. You're not going to become a good Christian because you come to church. That can help. You can hear things that you need to fix in your life. The Holy Spirit will convict you through the preaching of the Word of God, and you need to be here for that. But you're going to get close to God in your personal walk with him, in your personal time with him, in your personal relationship with him. That's how you get close to God. This just puts you on the path to getting there. So if all you're doing is sitting in church and listening to messages, if all you're doing is going through the motions and going through that routine, then eventually it's going to get to the point where it's so boring and so old and so mundane that you just stop altogether. You'll fall further and further away from the heart of God until eventually you're not even reading your Bible at all. 
till eventually you're not coming to church at all. It may be that you're still darken the doors of the church on a Sunday morning, but you've fallen so far away from God that no matter where you have been at some point in your past, the farther you fall away from God, the less desire you have, and the more that desire is suppressed, the more the devil gets in and puts other things in there that keeps you busy, that keeps you away from God. You're not praying at all. Church is not a priority. You give up on Christianity altogether. You've no doubt heard of some of these quote-unquote, high-profile Christians that are quitting the faith. Over the last couple of years, there's been several of them that have. And I say, you know, high-profile Christians, but people who are in the spotlight, people who, who know them. I'd have a hard time believing that they were really saved in the first place, but let's just assume that they were. How do you fall so far away from God that even being in the public spotlight and the face of Christianity, the face of, quote-unquote, Christian music, how do you fall away from God and quit the faith and then come out and make a statement that I'm quitting the faith? How do you get that? Part of it has to do with the crowd that they're running with. The, the, that contemporary style is so closely resembles the world that they don't even know where the world ends and where their Christianity begins. But when you emulate, emulate the world long enough, you eventually come to the conclusion that that's where you want to be. And that's what's happened with most of these Christians who have left the faith. But the other part of that is you get so wrapped up in just doing that you fail to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. You're so wrapped up in being busy every day, in and out. Everything that you do has something to do with, with God's work. But you fail to have that relationship with God that he wants to have with you. You finally get tired of pretending. And that's what several of these men who have quit the faith essentially said. They got tired of being somebody that they weren't. And that's exactly what will happen to every single Christian as you fall away in your relationship with Jesus Christ. You might be able to pretend for a while. You might be able to fool people for a while. You might be able to make people think that you're a good Christian for a while, but your life is going to be miserable because you're pretending to be somebody you're not. And eventually, you're going to get tired of playing that game. Eventually, you're going to get tired of all the pretending, and eventually, you're going to quit altogether. Of course, that's not pleasing to God. And that's how someone can go from being involved in the ministry to getting away from church and leaving the faith altogether. It's a long, slow, gradual process. But it all starts with only hearing God's voice and not actually discerning his desires for us. We can take that one step further in the last point. Because they were close enough to hear his voice. They were listening enough to know his desires. But lastly, they loved him enough to fulfill his desires. Turn over to James chapter 1. We won't beat a dead horse, but these men loved David enough to go get that water from him just at the mention of his desire. Oh, that we would love God in that way. I think this is what we have wrapped up in James chapter 1 and verse 22. But be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. That's exactly what happens with most Christianity. We hear it, but we're not willing to do it. That's a great point, Pastor. You know what? We should be doing that. You're right. And then we go home and we don't. And we come back again and we hear a message later on about the same time. You're right, Pastor. We ought to be doing that. That's a great message. Boy, you preached a good sermon today. Not going to change my life. I'm not going to do anything about it, but it was a great sermon. Why do we do this? Why do we do what we're doing if we're not trying to actively follow the voice of Jesus Christ in our lives? Evangelist Scott Pauley, maybe you've heard his name before, I don't know, he's pretty, pretty well known as an evangelist in, this, in, in, in our circles anyway, but 
He posted an article that I read in which he, he, he talked about consumer Christianity and American Christianity, which is, which is a far cry from the Christianity that we find in Acts. But it has done so much to develop consumerism in the minds of the average church member. Uh, people shop for a church today, right? Where can I be happy? Who has the best music? Who has the best programs? Where, what, what, what can my family get the most out of? And I'm not saying that you, you, sh- you ought to be in the best church that you can possibly be in. And if a church is dead and not doing anything, then you ought to be looking for another place. I'm not saying that, but, but, but this, this idea of shopping around for a church, I, I have a suspicion that when we gather at the, at the judgment seat of Christ, a lot of modern Christians are going to, going to be terribly ashamed in the presence of the martyrs. Even more ashamed in the presence of the spotless lamb of Jesus Christ who gave his life for us. We're going to be so ashamed at the way that we lived our Christianity. So much of it is just name only. Ours is a Christianity of convenience. It's a Christianity of comfort. If it makes me comfortable, then I'll go. If I'm okay with what's being preached, even if it's from the word of God, if I don't like it, I'm not going. If it's going to hurt my feelings, then I'm not going. Right? That's, that's a comfortable Christianity. It's a consumerism Christianity. No, tell me what I need from the word of God, and I'll change it. I'll do it. I want to know what God wants me to do. That's true Christianity. American Christianity has gotten to the point where if we don't like it, we just, we just leave. And there's, there's another church on the next corner who is, who is a, a, whole lot willing, a whole lot more willing to let us do whatever it is that we want to do to make us feel comfortable. And if you don't like what the Bible says, then just change the Bible. Get a different version that'll tell you you can do whatever it is that you want to do. There's so many versions out there nowadays that you can basically live your life how you want to and say, the Bible told me to do that. Right? That's American Christianity as consumerism Christianity. That's not true, biblical, first century Christianity. But that's what we need to get back to. God, please show me what I need to do. I'm listening for your voice. I'm discerning your desires, and I will do it if you just tell me what I need to do. That's Christianity, and that's what we've gotten away from in our churches. Our, our Christianity is, is, is just, we've just become consumers. We're just, take, 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 take. Give me what I can get out of it. I'll get everything that I can get out of it, and then that's it. Right? The early church didn't have those luxuries. They were depending on the only power that they had, and that was the power of the Holy Spirit. That's all they had. They didn't have all the luxuries that we have. They didn't have soft pews and heated buildings and air-conditioned buildings and, and all of these other things. And sometimes, not sometimes, I know the best thing for us, our churches as a whole in America, would be for persecution to hit us so hard that it wakes us up. Those Christians in Acts were persecuted, and they had to be real Christians or it wasn't even worth being a Christian at all. If they come and they say, we're going to stab you through the heart unless you denounce your Christianity, the ones who are halfway Christians, guess what they're going to say? Yeah, I mean, I'm not really a Christian. I mean, I, yeah, I went there a few times, and you know, I listened to some of their messages and whatever else, but it's not really me. I am, right? But the ones who said... We're going to stab you through the heart unless you denounce Christianity. The ones who are sold out for Christ said, I'm a Christian and nothing you can do to me is going to change that. And they were stabbed through the heart. They were, they were burned at the stake. They were drugged through the streets behind horses. They were drowned alive. They were flayed alive. I mean, some of the things that they did to some of these Christians, 
in the first and second and third and fourth centuries because they were willing to stand up for the cause of Jesus Christ, willing to be real Christians. Tell me what I need to do and I'll do it. That's a Christianity that lasts, and that's the Christianity that spread throughout all the rest of the known world. Had the first century Christians been Christians like we are in America today, we probably wouldn't have any idea what Christianity is. Think about the way we're spreading the gospel today. Is Christianity spreading in America? No, it's not. It's dying. Because you have a whole churches, whole churches full of consumer Christians. I'm here for what I can get out of this church, but I'm not going to put anything back into it. I'm not going to change anything. By the way, just so you know, I'm not changing anything. I'm going to keep living my life the way that I want to keep living my life. You can preach it. I'm not going to change it. I'm going to do what I'm here to do, and that's the end of it. If you don't like it, then I'll go somewhere else. There's a a church right up the corner who will let me do whatever I want to do in, in my life. That's consumer Christianity. That's not true, genuine, first century Christianity. The early church was depending on the power of the Holy Ghost. Their fight was with the devil. Their fellowship was with God's people. Persecution drove them to God and and to one another. It's all so easy now. Don't like it? Go find something else. That's that's what we have. That's our mentality. That's our mindset. I had people, especially when we were a young church, and we're still a young church, but when we were brand new, hardly any kids and everything else, we had people that show up and say, oh, what kind of kids' programs do you have here for our children? I said, well, we, we, we have Sunday school, and we have a, you know, a couple of these other things, and we don't have a lot of kids in there right now, but okay, yeah, this is not for me. We want to go someplace that has ministries that, is, that are established. And I never said this to anybody, but in my mind, I'm, How do you think any ministry is ever going to be established if some people don't stay and decide to be part of something that's growing, that's something that's brand new, right? But it's that consumerism mindset. If you can't help me, then I'm going somewhere else. If you can't help me, then I'll find somebody else who can. James warned against that consumer mentality. You're you're there in James. Go over to James chapter 4. It was creeping into their spiritual lives, and James had to stand up and say, hang on, you better pay attention to this. Better wake up. James chapter 4 and verse number 2. Ye lust and have not. Ye kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. Ye fight and war, yet ye have not because ye ask not. Ye ask and receive not because ye ask amiss, that ye may consume it upon your lusts. If that's not James saying, you don't have what you're asking for because you're a consumer. And you're living in consumer Christianity. All you want to do is please yourself. All you want to do is have your lusts fulfilled. That's it. Selfishness is the death of spirituality. It kills prayer. It destroys churches. It misses God's best. Turn over to Luke chapter 6. Instead of thinking about what we can get out of the church, we should start asking ourselves, what can I contribute to it? And certainly, God requires us as stewards to give, but I'm not even talking about money. Contributions are not limited to money. So many people are, 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 are happy to just say, all right, here's my check for the week. Now I've done my good deed. The church can use that money however they want to, and they can go out and they can reach the world for Jesus Christ. Who do you think the church is? You're the church. I'm not the church. This building is not the church. Let me write my check. The church can go fulfill the Great Commission. No, you can go fulfill the Great Commission. Write your check, 
We'll give you some things that you can use to go fulfill the Great Commission. That's your job. That's my job. That's our job. We are the church. And we've lost that. I'm not talking about just giving money when I'm talking about being a contributor. The greatest contributions are in the area of true riches, laying up treasures in heaven, right? Prayer, encouragement, fellowship, love, kindness. Those are the true riches. And as you do, you're going to find the Lord meets the deepest needs of your soul. Luke chapter 6, verse 38. Give, and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over shall men give into your bosom. For with the same measure that ye meet with all, it shall be measured to you again. And again, we focus so much on money when it comes to that verse and others. And I, and, and I, and I, think, that I, don't, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think that, that when you give financially to the Lord's work, God gives you back tenfold. And I'm not talking about a prosperity gospel because sometimes God doesn't give you back in money. God gives you back in health. God gives you back in other ways, right? But you be a blessing to somebody else, God's going to give you blessings back to the point where it's pressed down, shaken together, running over. You can't even receive it, right? You get involved in serving Jesus Christ in the ministries of the church that he gave his life for, he's going to give you back. And it's not always going to be that, oh, you give to God, you're going to be so wealthy, you'll have this fancy house with a three-car garage and anything you want. I'm not talking about that. There's a lot of people who have given to God who are poor. There's a lot of people who have, who have given financially who don't have a lot of things. And you know what? In a lot of ways, that's even better. Because we get so wrapped up in those things that it takes our focus away from the things of God. And look, maybe that's even a blessing that God gives you back because you gave to him. God blessed you with not a lot so you don't get wrapped up in those things and your relationship can be with him what he wants it to be. And I don't know. God does it in a lot of different ways. I haven't been to the Dead Sea yet. We're going. But I've heard and read enough about it. But for centuries, living things have flowed into the Dead Sea, but nothing ever flows out. One guy that, that I, uh, I heard said, life becomes death when it's kept to itself. Everything that flows into that Dead Sea flowed in as life, but because it kept everything there, it dies. There's no living thing in the Dead Sea. It's almost all salt. So much so that you can float in the Dead Sea without even trying. Right? You, don't need a, you don't need a buoyancy device or anything like that. You float because it's, it's just so much salt because everything that flows into it dies. Churches die. Christians die. Not because nothing flows into them, but because nothing flows out. We have received so much. It's time to relay that to others. God never intended for us to be Dead Sea Christians. Everything flows in. Oh, give me what I can get on Sunday. Give me what I can get. Let me, let me see where this church can help me out. I'm just going to keep it all to myself. Nothing's going out of this person, right? We have a lot of Dead Sea Christians and a lot of Dead Sea churches. Be more than a consumer. Be a contributor. It all comes down to your love for God. If you love him, you'll serve him. Oh, I just, I'm busy. You don't love him enough. Because if you love him, you'll serve him. I got so much going on, I just, I'm trying, but I can't. If you love him, you'll serve him, right? If your mind is set on things above, then everything else on this earth doesn't matter. What does Colossians 3, 2 say? Set your affections on things above, not on things on this earth. 
Let me have you turn to one last passage and we're done as we close here. Hebrews chapter 11. I'm not trying to compare David to God, not putting them on the same level, but there's a lot of similarities in the story in the way that David's men responded to him and the way that we should be responding to God. this, This chivalrous devotion of these three mighty men touched a chord in their chief. His heart was touched at the thought of what they had risked, that sparkling water from the well in Bethlehem was too sacred to be taken for anything less than pouring it out before God. Was not the water from the well of Bethlehem sweeter to David as he poured it out unto the Lord as if he had, than, than if he had just greedily gulped it down himself? So much sweeter for him to pour that out before the Lord. I can imagine that these three men felt highly repaid for their devotion as David poured that water out before the Lord. That reminds me of a passage in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse number 13. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, and were persuaded of them and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. By the way, all of those that are in the hall of faith, as we call it in Hebrews chapter 11, were Old Testament characters, right? How were they saved? Well, Jesus Christ hadn't died on the cross yet, so they were saved by making sacrifices. No, they were saved in the same way that we are saved. We're looking back on the death of Jesus Christ. They were looking forward to the coming of Jesus Christ. And it makes that pretty clear there in that verse number 13. They died in faith, not having, they didn't see the promise fulfilled. They died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off and were persuaded of them and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country. And truly, if they had been mindful of that country from whence they came out, they might have had opportunity to have returned. But now they desire a better country, that is, in heavenly. Wherefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he hath prepared for them a city. Matthew 25, 21 says, The Lord said unto him, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. God's not ashamed to be called their God. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. How we'd say it today, that's my boy, right? That's my, that's my child, that's my son, that's my daughter. That to me is the equivalent of David taking that water and pouring it out before the Lord. God's heart is moved by the service of, the, of his people. Are you close enough to hear his voice? Are you listening enough to know his desires? And do you love him enough to fulfill those desires? If not, then you need to examine yourself this morning. See what needs to change. Make a decision to change it so that you can be useful in God's service. Because after all, what's the point of living on this earth if we're not? Let's pray. Father, we love you again. We thank you so much for your goodness to us. Thank you for allowing us this morning to spend some time around your word. I thank you for the examples that we have of these great stories in the Bible. And what a reminder it is to us that we ought to be listening for your voice, that we ought to be close enough that we can discern your desires, and then that we ought to love you enough that we'll fulfill those desires that you have for us. God, I pray that you break our hearts of stone Pray that you'd tear up the fallow ground. Pray that you would help us to see revival in our own lives. I believe that you have some great things that you want to do through this church. 
through the individual people in this church that make it up. But God, we have to be in a place where we're willing to change anything that you want to change, where we're willing to shore up anything that you want to strengthen, where we're willing to do anything for you that you want us to do. I pray, that God, that that desire will be so strong in each one of our lives that we'd be willing to make the necessary changes. And God, where decisions need to be made this morning, I pray that decisions would be made and that you'd be able to use us to the full potential of the way that you want to use the individuals in this church, the families in this church, and this church to reach this area for you. God, I pray that you'd send a revival and that you'd start it right here in this place and that it would start with us, start with me. God, get a hold of my heart. Help me to change the things that you want me to change so that I can be what you need me to be. And then we can go up from there. Pray that you'd help our church to be what you want it to be. We thank you for all that you do for us in Jesus' name. Amen.